Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this podcast is Matthew Prescott, director of food policy for the Humane Society of the United States, the world's leading animal protection organization with more than 12 million supporters. Matt works with agribusiness uh, and as it relates to animal welfare and has dealt with a number of major food companies in order to reform the animal care practices. Matt, delighted to have you here. Thank you for having me. Well, let's first talk about why care about animal welfare in the context of agriculture. Um, And I know the Humane Society is doing a great deal of work on this very progressive, cutting-edge research. So tell us, how big of a problem is this issue? Well, it's a pretty big problem. We've got about 10 billion farmed animals here in the U.S. at any given moment. 10 billion. Uh, About 10 billion with a B. Uh, At any given time, about 9 billion of them are chickens, and the other 2 billion are pigs and cows and, and other animals. And those are just land animals. If you look at fish as well, you get into the 50s or 60s of billions. It's, a, it's, a, it's an epidemic problem. And, and the way that these animals are treated as, uh, for the most part, as production widgets in a production line or an assembly line uh, results in, in a level of animal cruelty and animal abuse that's on par with the worst types of felony level abuses that could be inflicted on a dog or a cat. Uh, these are abuses that most Americans don't support and that we're working very hard every day to try to reform. So before we get into talking about the specifics, uh, how, how much do people care about these issues, the general public? Well, there have been several studies over the last uh, five to ten years that have indicated a very strong level of support for treating farm animals well. And it's not a new concept. People share this kind of bond with animals, whether dogs and cats who we share our homes with, or many of us do, or, or birds who, you know, there are 80 million bird watchers in the U.S. Uh, and farm animals are no different. There was one study conducted by the American Farm Bureau Federation, the leading lobby organization for American farmers, which found that 95% of all Americans think that farm animals ought to be treated well. Not a very big surprise there. you got to wonder about the 5% that said they really just don't care. Um, But basically all of us want animals to be treated well. Another study from a food industry consulting firm called Technomic, which does trends analysis for the food industry, found that animal welfare was the third most important social issue to American restaurant patrons, outranking the environment, buying local, buying fair trade, buying organic, and a whole host of very other important issues, animal welfare ranked even higher. And do you think most people understand about what's happening with farm animals, what the real, the real farm looks like? I think that that is creeping into Americans' consciousness more and more, thanks to films like Food, Inc., thanks to films like Fork, Forks Over Knives, uh, books like Food Matters and In Defense of Food and Eating Animals by Jonathan Saffron Four. I think more and more people are beginning to realize what exactly goes into producing meat and eggs and dairy products and the hidden costs in those production systems and are starting to step step back and say, hey, wait a minute, I don't think I support this, and is there a better way to do it? And indeed there is. So certainly we know the, the end product of all this. It's a vast array of foods in the American food supply given to us at very low cost. But what are some of the costs in terms of animal welfare? What actually happens on the farm typically that would lead people to be concerned? We've got, for example, in the egg industry, about 280 million laying hens, most of whom are confined in what's called a barren battery cage. That's basically a wire enclosure that confines five to eight birds. It's about the size of a file cabinet drawer. 
And this isn't a temporary holding pen for these animals. This is where they live for their entire year-long life with uh, no opportunity to engage in even the most simple natural behaviors like spreading their wings. So that many chickens are put in that confined a space, and they never leave that space. And they never leave it. Uh, they're put in there. They're hatched. They're put into the battery cage. They stay there for about a year, and then they're slaughtered. That's all they get. Uh, pigs, similarly in the breeding industry, uh, breeding sows are confined in, in devices called gestation crates. The gestation part implies while they're pregnant. And so while the pig is pregnant, which is four months long, they're kept in this crate. It's basically a two foot wide box, uh, one animal per box. Uh, now the width of a pig's body full grown at, at this market type of pig is about two feet wide. And so they're the same width as the crate, meaning they can't even turn their own bodies around inside the gestation crate. And this is all they get 24-7, uh, 365 days a year. They're, they're in there for four months while they're pregnant, moved into another crate to give birth, re-impregnated, put back into a gestation crate for the cycle to repeat, and it repeats for three to four years until their production wanes and they're sent off to slaughter. It's hard to imagine a worse way to keep an animal. And have the effects on the animals been documented? Absolutely. There are... Um, all kinds of public health studies from Johns Hopkins, from others that indicate that confining animals in this extreme way, preventing them from even turning around, denying them of their very nature, turning around, walking, spreading their wings, laying their eggs in nests, denying these animals these things creates extremely high levels of stress in them, which in addition to impacting meat quality or egg quality, also impacts our health. So then you've got a situation where you've got a barn with maybe a million laying hens in it or a barn with several hundred thousand breeding sows in one barn, all with compromised immune systems because of the stress they're under, living in cages and crates that are encrusted with filth and debris and feces with maybe one employee to take care of all of them. Um, and when one of them gets sick, it spreads like wildfire. And this is the reason why we've got, uh, at least part of the reason why we've got things like bird flu and swine flu because we've compromised animals in such an extreme way by confining them like this. And so the costs of this production go far beyond just animal cruelty. You've got public health consequences. You've got environmental consequences when you've got barns with millions of animals spewing out all kinds of waste and nasty stuff. And um, these are issues that, as more Americans start considering for the first time, they take a step back and say, hold on a second, this is, something is wrong here. And antibiotics are part of this picture. Can you explain how? Yeah, when you've got so many animals living in such extreme confinement and they've got these immune systems that have been weakened as a result of this stress, um, they become susceptible to disease. And it's not just the confinement, but it's the number of animals that are in there. It's the type of confinement. It's um, living in ways that contradict how animals are meant to live, um, to being denied their very nature. And so... Farmers, as a solution to this, instead of saying, why don't we make the animals healthy by giving them what they actually need as animals, they say, oh, we'll just pump them full of antibiotics. Um, and the antibiotics are also intended to make them grow extremely fast. So, for example, in the chicken meat industry, broiler chickens are called, uh, chicken farmers want them to grow extremely large, extremely fast, especially their breast meat, because people want that big piece of breast meat. And so the average chicken in the chicken meat industry lives only 45 days. It only takes 45 days now to grow a chicken from the time they hatch until the time they reach market weight. And part of the way that they do that is by giving them these subtherapeutic antibiotics, these growth-promoting antibiotics. 
Um, and so we see these consequences now in human health. We're, become, we're becoming more resistant to antibiotics that we need to take when we get sick um, because the, the antibiotics are being leached from the meat and, and uh, other products that we eat into our own systems. And so one of the solutions to this is just to get the animals out of the confinement systems, to reduce the number of them that are farmed, to get them into healthier systems, and maybe just maybe we wouldn't need to use as much antibiotics to breed them at slower rates so we're not pumping them full of these growth-inducing drugs and to just treat them more like animals should be treated. So it sounds like there are many reasons to care about this issue. There's the welfare of the animals themselves. Then there's the effect on human health, say, by the development of antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria and things that occur in this. What about foodborne illnesses? Is that a player here? Absolutely. Um, and that's where um, we see things like salmonella. In 2010, we saw the largest egg recall in American history over salmonella contamination. What's salmonella linked to? Battery cage confinement. Uh, almost every study ever conducted comparing salmonella rates in cage versus cage-free facilities has found higher rates of salmonella contamination in the cage facilities. The Journal uh, of American Epidemiology recently published a report which found that people who eat eggs from caged hens, um, so this is at the consumption level, not production, people who eat eggs from caged hens are far more likely to contract salmonella than those who don't. That evidence seems quite clear from what you're saying. So I know more and more people are becoming aware of these issues and care about them and are making buying decisions based on these. And we'll come back in the second podcast and talk about solutions. But something you mentioned in passing earlier interested me, fish. Um, are people concerned about the welfare of fish in this context too? People certainly are. It's a relatively new issue in animal welfare, but more and more people, especially those who are in tune with, uh, say, sustainable uh, fishing or sustainable fish farming practices or uh, sustainable ways to, to catch fish, are becoming more and more concerned with how those fish live. In fact, I talked with a uh, seafood buyer at a major grocery company recently who told me a story about visiting a fish farm in South America that supplies this company, which I, I won't mention here. And um, looking at the two systems, the more intensive system and the less intensive system, and the way that uh, he described it was that the less intensively farmed fish were happier. And most people don't think of fish and think of their happiness level, but it is certainly something that is becoming uh, more and more of an issue. It certainly makes sense to be tracking that. Um, given that more people are, are becoming concerned about this, um, and they're worried about the welfare of the animals <clears throat> and their health and things like that, It'll be very interesting to talk about what's been done with the big food companies, and I know you've made major accomplish, accomplishments in that regard, so it'll be, we'll talk about that in the second of the podcast. Um, are you optimistic about trends you see in people becoming aware of these issues? I'm very optimistic. Um, I got into this field about a decade ago, and at that time, there were very few people talking about factory farming of animals, um, whether from a human health or an environmental or an animal standpoint. Um, at that time, and I know we'll talk about this later, but we would call up a, a company, you know, major restaurant chain, and start trying to talk to them about cage-free eggs, and they had no idea. It was like we were speaking Greek to them. Um, now, you know, fast forward just a decade later, and these issues are top of mind. And so we've seen this major sea change over the last several years even, 
where these issues have been thrust into the American consciousness and thrust to, uh, pun intended, I guess, the center of the plate um, and really are taking a a strong hold in agricultural policy. And I think we're just going to continue seeing more of that. So if people would like to learn more about this, what would you suggest they do? Um, I suggest people go to our website, humanesociety.org. And uh, we usually have some kind of feature up there about farm animals at any given time. So you can probably find your way through the the uh, sea of the internet fairly easily, but uh, just humanesociety.org. And I know a lot of the awareness, well, at least some of the awareness has come about from people doing undercover videotaping, for example, of animals in these circumstances. Has that been an important way to raise awareness? And I know that there are some legal actions by people trying to prevent this, and I'd appreciate if you would explain that. Yeah, uh, people may be familiar with undercover video footage that's shown on the nightly news on ABC News or um, on CNN, which seems to regularly happen of, um, you know, chickens in cages or cruelty to cows at a cow slaughterhouse. And for many years, this has been an important tool. You know, factory farms are not places that the average person can go to. They're not places the average person would even know how to find. In fact, it can even be difficult for us to figure out where these places are. And so by going in there and taking video footage of exactly what happens at these places, we're opening the door to them essentially to the American public. And that's been one of the reasons why so many people are now starting to think more about animal cruelty because they see it more and more. So in response to this, the uh, some in the agricultural sector, some in the factory farming industry, as we would call it uh, in many cases, have gotten together and said, rather than Let's start treating our animals well so that next time the Humane Society or another organization comes in with a hidden camera, all they're going to find are happy animals being treated well. Um, That would be a solution that we would have hoped for. Unfortunately, what they're now doing is working to pass laws that make it a crime to take an unauthorized photo or video at a farming facility of anything, whether it's animal abuse, environmental abuse, worker abuse, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're not authorized to take this photo or video, you are now a criminal. Uh, Fortunately, we've been able to defeat them in almost all of the instances where they've tried to introduce these bills. One recently did pass in Iowa, the largest pork producing state in the country, which is very problematic. Um, But it's a shame that the industry's solution is just to shoot the messenger and to hide the problem rather than to take proactive steps to solve it. And what it really highlights is this kind of backwards way of thinking that's prevalent in in, uh, the big agribusiness companies now that, um, you know, the best solution is just to hide it. It seems to me that 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 is a counteractive strategy on the long term that, I mean, even in the short term, you might be lucky and get a law passed here and there on that, but it makes you look bad everywhere by what are you trying to hide. Absolutely, and there's still going to be these videos taken in states that do continue allowing them, which I think will be the vast majority of states. The videos are still going to come out. Videos of animals in cages and crates confined, abused, are still going to surface. It's not going to prevent that from happening. All it does to do, all, all it serves to do is to spotlight the fact that the industry has something to hide to the point where they want to make it a crime to take a photograph. If you, Even if you're standing on a highway taking a photograph of a farm from afar, you're a criminal. Um, it's not gonna, I, I can't imagine it's going to do them any good. Well, thank you for pointing out the extent and nature of the problems. And in the second of the two podcasts, as I said, we'll talk about solutions. So thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you. Guest is Matthew Prescott, Director of Food Policy for the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org, where you'll find 
resources on food and food policy issues, including links to other podcasts from excellent visitors that have come to the Rudd Center. Thank you.